Good morning, church. Like Rob said, I'm Amy. I'm the kids minister here, and with him out of town, I get to step out of the kids zone and study God's word with you all this morning, so I'm looking forward to it. We're in the middle of a recurring Live Free series where we explore our mental and emotional health and well-being and how that intersects with our discipleship to Jesus. Specifically this month, we are looking at the hope and the healing that Jesus offers when we're facing really hard things. Addiction, depression, shame, anger, and anxiety. Now about a month or so ago, Rob let me pick which one I wanted to share with you on this morning. So I chose anger to be completely transparent with you. I think I chose it because it's the one that felt the most personally relevant, hit the closest to home. So I am in this with you, and I really hope that God is able to speak to you out of the reflections and the study that he's led me through over the past month. So anger. If I was with the kids right now, I would say, get ready to show me your best angry face, and go. See, you're on the kids' team. (laughs) When I say anger, what comes to mind? Is it a moment in your life where you felt anger so strongly, you blew up on someone, you pulled an incredible hulk? Maybe it's a quiet anger that you felt slowly building in you over the past week, month, year, over your perceived lazy coworker, or the coach that you feel plays favorites, that family member who always manages to finish the last snack you were looking forward to, the crooked picture on the wall, sometimes it's the small things, Potentially when I say anger, you instantly picture someone who took their anger out on you. If that is the case, please hear me when I say either once or if that's been your experience consistently, please talk to someone so they can help you protect your own health and well-being. Anger. I'm going to put it out there that we all feel or experience anger pretty often. And if you don't, take me to coffee and teach me. It's truly Anger is pervasive in many of our lives. But the good news is we don't have to feel too guilty because there's a lot of anger in the Bible as well. We find the explosive rage of King Saul, the pouting sulkiness of the prophet Jonah, the comedic tantrum of Balaam when he's talking to his donkey, to King Nebuchadnezzar's foot stomping, to the sullen resentment of King Ahab. Anger can show up in a myriad of ways. So before we jump into the scriptures this morning and look at that, let's take a moment to learn from some of our outlookers who are also mental health professionals. I would describe anger as a shield of armor. The purpose of armor is to protect our body from things that are hurting us. And this is exactly what anger does, is that it provides a shield over more fleshy, more vulnerable emotions that we're not comfortable experiencing. Everyone experiences anger. Sometimes I experience anger every day, Uh, but in reality, it's not getting in the way of my decision making. So there's a fine line between all of us experience these things and also, when should we be concerned and when do I need to talk to someone? So if anger is getting in the way of your everyday decisions and you can't get out of that emotional state um, or anger is leading your decisions, that's something that you wanna talk about with someone. You wanna make sure that you're weighing both your emotional side but also your analytical side and using what we call your wise mind. God puts anger in our life as 
almost like a, a, a dashboard signal that we would see on our car. And we, you know, we need to tell ourselves, why is this here? Why am, why am I not thinking clearly? Why am I losing patience so easily? Anger is a secondary emotion, so it's the second thing we feel. Generally, there's hurt, there's shame, there's frustration that come before that anger. Um, so if we're really working on that, we have to kind of like isolate the anger, put it off to the side and go further in. Some of the drivers or causes of anger can be insecurity, low self-esteem, and again, abuse or abandonment or neglect. People who struggle with anger have learned early on how powerful anger can be at pushing others away and then they remain safe. People who live with anger really can struggle because they know it's a problem, they know it's not who they want to be, but sometimes it's the socially acceptable answer, and so it's really hard to kind of bring that back and say, I'm an angry person, when that's really what they've been taught to do or what they're covering up. Someone that is experiencing anger might feel fully justified in the, the feeling that they have. They might feel unheard, they might feel unloved, and they might just, they might be completely unaware of what their actions are. With children, we give them a timeout, and adults need timeouts too. And so if we're in a conversation and we realize that our anger is getting triggered, it is perfectly fine to call a timeout and to remove ourselves from the situation. During that time though, that we're trying to calm down, we need to make sure that we're actually doing calming things and not doing anything to activate that anger and make it continuous. We have to be able to walk away from it. We have to be able to go in and journal about it. We have to have, put words to it. Music is an awesome way of, of doing that. You know, if we can get the anger outside of us, it won't spill out. Um, so working on why it's inside of us and um, how to get it out. Maybe some justice work or maybe just um, some reconciliation. There's most likely something underneath this. This anger is a mask for something else. Um, is it possible to do the work on your own? Of course. Are there self-help books that could really get you thinking? Of course. Um, but talking to a pastor or talking to a therapist really could help uncover what's underneath that. What maybe the trauma is? What are the emotions that you're running from? What is it that makes you feel weak that you feel you need to overcompensate for? Thank you to Deanna, Jonathan, Tamara, and Mike for sharing their expertise with us. And before I move forward, I wanna point out a couple things to make sure you heard them so we can hit on them this morning. So one, you heard in a couple different ways that anger's never really alone. And it's a secondary emotion, which means there's always other emotions with it. Anger is a shield, a mask, to protect more vulnerable feelings. I read elsewhere, anger is the loud emotion, the one that draws attention and we see as it shows up. Other thing to note, we have to figure out how to deal with anger. If it is controlling our life and all our decisions, we probably need some professional help to sort through what's going on and look critically at the effects of our anger because anger is an emotion that we all feel. And though there's a difference between being a person who experiences anger and being an angry person and that being what defines you and your identity, we're all somewhere on that spectrum. And I'd say there's a difference between feeling anger and sinning in anger. 
We see that tension in scripture as well. And the Bible has a lot to say on anger. How much, you might ask? Keeping in mind that biblical word studies can be a little tricky, the differences between Hebrew and Greek and English. Anger is mentioned just as often, if not more so, than love. There are about 15 Hebrew and Greek words that show up nearly 800 times in the Bible. However, you can't just search for the word anger because there are many stories where the word anger doesn't show up, but anger is clearly present in the actions of our biblical figures. So if you're reading between the lines, settle in, because we're gonna be here a while. No, obviously we can't cover the entire scope of anger in the Bible. If you are interested in that, I do highly recommend this book, The Heart of Anger, by Christopher Ashe and Steve Midgley. I pretty much read it in a day. And they did a really great job of covering when, how, why anger shows up throughout the scriptures, both in humans and in God. And as we look at stories with anger in the Bible, they pointed out how important it is for us to understand the story of which anger is a part. They know it's the same when seeking to understand our own anger or the anger of those we seek to help. We need to know the story. The more the story we know, the better chance we have to understand why anger is present. So let's pick a story and dig in. Now, in seeking wisdom from God's word about anger, it is tempting to choose the story of Jesus getting angry at the crowd who turned the temple into a den of robbers. So he flips over the table, the money changes and rebukes them. And we wanna choose that story because we say, see, Jesus got angry, I can get angry too. But unfortunately, we are not Jesus. So righteous anger can be a slippery slope because we aren't God. We don't have the ability to know all and to use what Deanna called our wise mind all the time, balancing our emotions and our analytical thinking and be perfect as God is. So instead of looking to scripture for what we can rightly be angry about and to justify our anger, we're gonna focus on a biblical character who we can look to really as a model for how he handled anger. A guy who really doesn't get a ton of credit or notoriety and is totally underrated despite having a book of his own, Nehemiah. So the book of Nehemiah is a historical book that covers the end of the period of human history we have right up here of God's people in the Old Testament. I recognize it's not a book we talk about often, maybe because we don't know that time period as well as that of Moses and the Exodus out of Egypt. So give me a few minutes to plant us and indulge my need to give a history lesson, to give a sermon. I do promise we're gonna keep it as short as we can while still getting us to know the story. So let's pick up where I mentioned in Exodus. God led the people out of slavery from Egypt into the wilderness. They wandered in the wilderness, the book of Numbers. They eventually enter the promised land. They go through the period of the judges. They have kings, which if you have kids right now, they're learning about those kings right now, that famous family of David and Solomon. To no surprise, there are good kings, there are bad kings. And to no surprise, because of that, The country splits into two, so God's people split into two separate nations. Then the Assyrian Empire comes in and conquers God's people as a consequence of sin. And then the Babylonian Empire rises to power and comes in and conquers God's people. And then the Persian Empire rises to power and comes in and conquers. So God's people are in exile away from their home. Zerubbabel, now that should be the next baby name trend in my opinion, He has just gotten permission to go home and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And the priest Ezra goes with him to work for spiritual and religious reform. Finally, we come to the book of Nehemiah. 
which tells us about the rebuilding of the Jerusalem city wall to protect the people and their new temple from their unfriendly neighbors. The book of Nehemiah is primarily written in the first person by Nehemiah. So who is this dude? Well, when we meet him in chapter one, he is the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. By knowing that Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, we know not that the king was lazy because he couldn't carry his own cup, but that Nehemiah is incredibly trustworthy. In the ancient world, the cupbearer was tasked with making sure the king was never poisoned via his drink. The king trusted Nehemiah with his life. So we know he's a pretty good guy. So let's turn to scripture where Nehemiah himself is still in exile, but he's able to talk to some men who had returned to Persia after they'd been granted a trip to their home in Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter one, verse three. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So after seeking God's guidance on this news, Nehemiah asked the king if he could be sent home to Jerusalem with resources to rebuild the wall. And the king gives him permission. So Nehemiah goes and he leads his people in this endeavor. Now that we've done all that background work, we get to where Nehemiah gets angry. So we flip a couple pages to Nehemiah chapter 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For the other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. So what happened here is the people come to their leader, Nehemiah, complaining about how they're being treated. And Nehemiah gets angry, very angry. The Hebrew word used here is hurrah. It means to burn with anger, to be kindled. Nehemiah's anger was kindled because he's facing trouble. Frustration of our desires often leads to anger. Nehemiah's desire was to rebuild the wall. He was tasked with putting walls up to protect from outsiders and his efforts are being foiled over and over and in this case, not by his enemies, but from his own people. Their selfish choices were threatening his ability to complete the wall that God had willed him to build. To no great surprise, the people were putting their own interests before God. And all the people are coming to Nehemiah to complain about how they're being treated by one another. So what does Nehemiah do? I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself. I love that line, I think it's great. I took counsel with myself. Now, my small group right now has four toddlers in it, so if you add in a dog, it is guaranteed that at least once throughout the evening, somebody is melting down and getting overwhelmed. So if you look, you see them, they like start to cry, and you ask them, what's wrong, what do you need? I need space, I need space. That's my small group laughing. 
Uh, And so they do the same thing that Nehemiah did. Nehemiah stepped away, he took space, he took that adult time out. I really do hope, by the way, that in a few years, as like five-year-olds, one of our girls were like, what do you need, what's wrong? I'm taking counsel with myself. Like, I love that line, I think it's great. And it's what Tamara mentioned in the video about what to do when we experience anger. We need a timeout. it's not revolutionary. To ensure that Nehemiah didn't act out in anger or make some quick, sharp-tongued response, as I might have done, he stepped away. And that's a really good start and so incredibly important because one of the biggest dangers of anger is that it can so easily hurt others. I was meeting with an outlooker a few weeks ago and they shared this imagery with me that's really stuck with me as a visual person. Imagine you're in a swimming pool. If you were just in Florida on fall break, go back there in your mind. You might be nice and relaxed and then you notice the kid or the adult who's splashing around next to you and you realize you're in their splash zone. You might have seen it coming. Maybe it was a surprise cannonball that soaked you, but all of a sudden you're in their splash zone and you're soaked. So imagine that when you think about your anger coming out. You might just be annoyed and like little splashes are coming off, like warning everyone to stay away. Maybe you exploded on someone and although they probably did nothing wrong, they are soaked in your anger. Especially because the people who are closest to us are gonna receive the biggest splash. Sometimes it's hard to recognize when that anger is building, so we have to listen to our bodies. When the pulse starts to quicken or when you feel flushed, you feel yourself kind of fidgeting with the building tension, we can't ignore the warning signs they're giving us. God created our bodies to give us these warning signs, so we have to listen to them and step away so we don't splash those around us. Back to Nehemiah, who's taking counsel with himself. And one reason I think I really like this line about taking counsel with oneself is because it's very clear about the purpose of the angry timeout. Taking counsel with oneself to get control of his anger so he doesn't splash those around him. He paused, stepped away, and took counsel. He thought it over for a while. He considered these things carefully. He pondered them in his mind. All different translations of the Bible there, but all saying he's able to slow down and think analytically. He used his wise mind. As told recently by someone, you can't see your reflection in a boiling pot of water as you can't see the truth in a state of anger. So next time you make spaghetti, think about that. You can't see your reflection in a boiling pot of water as you can't see the truth in a state of anger. Nehemiah took time to let the water settle and see the truth. And let's double check, who did Nehemiah take counsel with him? With a friend, a neighbor, a coworker? No. He took counsel with himself. But was it really just Nehemiah talking to Nehemiah? No. If you read through the first four chapters of Nehemiah, it is clear that in his everyday life, Nehemiah is abiding with God. Nehemiah chapter one, verse four. I was very sad and I prayed to God. Moving through Nehemiah. I'm praying to you day and night. I'm praying for the people of Israel. The king said to me, what do you want? I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I answered the king. God was kind to me and helped me, so the king gave me what I asked for, what my God wanted me to do. He is in tune with God's will. I also told them how my gracious God was helping me. I answered, the God of heaven will give us success. We serve him. I prayed to God. They wanted to stir up trouble against it, but we prayed to our God. Don't be afraid of your enemies. Remember the Lord. He is great and powerful. Our God will fight for us. We see over and over again that Nehemiah 
trusts God and takes everything to God. Nehemiah saying, I took counsel with myself, means Nehemiah is taking counsel with God because Nehemiah's heart and mind are aligned with God. An intro summary to the book of Nehemiah reads, Nehemiah teaches us, teaches us how much you can accomplish when you align yourself with the will and plan of God. I stick to my earlier statement, Nehemiah is underrated. What does Nehemiah do then after taking counsel with himself and God? In chapter five, seven, Nehemiah brought charges against the nobles and officials. After careful consideration, he determined what needs to be done for resolution. So the nobles and officials are taking advantage of poorer people by charging interest. Charging interest was against their law, against the Mosaic Covenant. So Nehemiah called them on it. Their response, they were silent and could not find a word to say. I love that. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain, but us abandoning this exacting of interest. Nehemiah calls these nobles and their officials on their law-breaking interest. He corrects them for how what they're doing is not walking with God. And he confirms that he is not breaking the law himself, if we keep reading. He's not charging interest. He doesn't have to take the log out of his own eye in this case to see the speck in theirs. In this case, he's not a hypocrite. And in the name of God here, he is able to point out the anger-inducing sin of others and continue to lead God's people to accomplish God's purposes. So what do we do with this story of Nehemiah? God gives us this Bible so we can learn better how to walk and live with him, follow his way. So how does Nehemiah help us do that? When we look at why Nehemiah was angry, it helps us to reflect on why we might be angry. The nobles and officials are breaking the law and that's getting in the way of Nehemiah building the city wall. If we give Nehemiah the benefit of the doubt, we'd probably say he's justified in his anger because he is accomplishing the will of God. There's always the chance though when we're talking about humans that Nehemiah is angry because they were harming the progress of the wall that might bring him power or prestige or recognition. And maybe that was a part of his anger. But I do think we see in Nehemiah a deep desire to serve God. And that's revealed in his anger. For anger reveals something in the human heart. It shows what we truly value and treasure. So think back to the most recent time you were angry, or maybe you're angry about something right now. Go deeper. Why are you angry? Why are you frustrated? What treasures are you scared of losing? Control, power, reputation, possessions? I'm not here to tell you whether your anger, anger is righteous or justified or not but to encourage you to peel back the armor, to pause and find the truth. Sometimes the truth can be hard to find, especially in a culture that tells us anger to some degree at least can be seen as a strength. And we often hear the message that we have the right to be angry if we don't get what we need, or even more dangerously, be angry if we don't get what we think we deserve. It can be hard to sift through. So when we're angry, we have to take it to God. Secular anger management courses can be hugely helpful in teaching tools and strategies to manage our anger, learning effective coping mechanisms, unlearning ineffective coping mechanisms, 
Recognizing triggers for anger, learning to avoid them, breathing, counting to 10. All important tools, but what can Jesus do for your anger that anger management can't? Only Jesus can change your hearts. Remember, anger reveals what we truly treasure, the desires of our heart. Now we so often teach and think about prayer as talking to God, but in prayer, when you are truly sitting with God, imagine Jesus sitting across from you and asking, why are you angry? He might go further and ask what God asked of Jonah in chapter 4-4. Is it right for you to be angry? Sit in that with him. And when you do, there's a chance God will direct your actions like he did with Nehemiah and give you an opportunity to confront someone in love or work towards a solution. But I know God will say, trust me. Turn over this desire you have for control, for power, the desire you have to be me, as our culture tells us, to be our own God, you do you and all that. But God says, turn that over to me and lean on me. I know what's best for you. What's best for you is not possessions or power. God says what's best for you is me. Like all the hard topics we're hitting on this month, anger isn't a struggle you can win simply by an intellectual or logical process that you'll learn in a self-help book. Those can help, but we can slowly, a little each day, win this battle in Christ. So as we wrap up this morning, let's turn to celebrating communion as we do every week that we gather together. Communion's by the back door if you missed it on your way in. Because if there was ever a time for Jesus to be angry, it's this. This time that we reflect on Jesus going to the cross for us. He didn't shout out in anger even though he was being unjustly led. He went silently. He had the perfect knowledge to understand that his perfect sacrifice was needed. So Jesus, we thank you for your body. Take the bread and eat. Jesus made what we often call the ultimate sacrifice by giving his life. But he knew he'd get it back and in turn be able to give to each of us an incredible treasure, life. Not here on earth, but in heaven forever. So as we take the cup of salvation, we thank you, Jesus, for this treasure of salvation that is given to us in love. Take and drink. Let's talk to God. Lord God, we give ourselves to you, not just in the moment or this morning, when it's a little easier to give you our full attention as we sit here worshiping together, but help us to release our desire for power and control and release our fears so we can give ourselves to you each moment. We thank you for the gift of your word and your creation of Nehemiah that we can learn from him and how he walked with you. God, help us to trust you as he did. Help us to pause when anger starts to overtake us and instead of letting it splash out and cause pain, help us to bring it to you so that you can change our hearts as only you can. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.